Well, I'm here in uh, in Paris uh, for for DevOps Whoa. France. I think there's another milestone I achieved here. I don't know what the first one was, um, but I think I finally I finally have gotten comfortable with wearing like the pivotal branded T-shirt while I'm at the booth. No, usually I have like a, a casual button-uppy kind of Western shirt, maybe some sort of pullover situation. But today I was like, I'm just going to wear the T-shirt. I'm just going to blend in. How yep. did uh, why did you make the leap? What was the final uh reason? You know, that's I hadn't I wasn't prepared for this question. Uh but uh <laughs> I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Were all your other clothes dirty? I just answer. I I just, you know, I'm not or, like the the marketing person running the booth was like, "No, if you're standing here, you're wearing the shirt." That's another reason that yeah. people wear them. But you go know, on. You know, I'm not speaking at this conference. It's all the way over in Paris. I think I just had the mentality of like, I'm here, uh, let's do this. I'm here to be a booth person. Yeah. Let's just go all in on it and booth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wear the, the chef shirts when I'm the booth person. You know, if I'm, if I'm out of the conference and that's the uniform. Other than that, I, I'm usually not in, in uniform. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and we have some nice shirts. Yeah, yeah, we got some, some wide variety of them. Mm. Well, this is going to make me talk about the most successful thing that you do in the booth. If you know to know that you're doing a good job, is that you never actually give the presentation or the demo that's in the booth. That if you can do, successfully do that and just have lots of good conversations, you're having a great show. Oh yeah, if you're forced or people are making you to like show the thing or talk about the thing. Generally, it's just like it's not going. Well, that means not, you don't it's have not a good situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're not having a good moment. It's just like you should like every. I used to tell, especially the team last manager was like, no, like you just really want like pictures and colors on the thing behind you that just grab people's attention to make you come over and hopefully they ask a question. And oh, then you never actually have to show them. So, yeah. so, so that's the thing when you're walking around a booth, you see like a lot of people getting demos. It's like that's not going anywhere. You're like, nope, those people <laughs> definitely don't care about that. You know, so, who, you know who gets demos? Um, people who don't sign checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it is true. It is like if people are getting demos, it's like, oh, that's not going well for that show. Bad show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Speaking, uh, true, true to that. Like I, bad shows. I, I've, I've, I. So speaking of that, I've been to enough like uh, DevOps days tablings, as it were. And uh, now, now I don't know if this violates what you were just saying, Brandon. But I have actually, after having so many conversations with people, made up some slides that I find I can commonly refer to. Right, so I, I I think I've I've made a demo out of my non-demo pitch or something like that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I I think that's right. I mean, I think I think in this situation, while we're on boothing, as it were, I mean, one there's there's two things. One, uh, you know, it took me a while to realize that basically everyone here in Paris speaks English, so I should just start talking English to them instead of being like, you know, not. Did you I guess. try to speak French? No, no, no. Are you kidding? Oh, oh. I, I like, like other countries like it. I yeah. don't think they like it in France if you if you try to speak French, knowing that you're immediately going to ask them if they can speak English. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like like all good Americans, I took two years of French <laughs> in high school and remember none of it. So, oh, uh, <laughs> I might be worse. I took like six years of Spanish, and I'll speak Spanish to them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that, that's that's funny. You know, that's that's I've noticed. My wife Kim and I, we talk about this. We have this. I don't know what you would call it. A, a, a mental problem where instantly, whenever we're in a in a foreign country, we we just like we have to stop ourselves from speaking Spanish. Like it's just like oh, it's like that. this binary yeah. switch where you want to just start speaking Spanish to people right away. And, and I, I, I do that in Japan. <laughs> that probably doesn't work. 
<laughs> not so well. <laughs> it just confuses them. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a couple rules for like boothing um, and, and things you want to sponsor at shows. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna. So we're we're at the uh, the AWS Sydney Summit. Um, you know, Amazon's got the road show, the summits, and they have a lot of them. Um, but we we kind of uh, we we were a little late getting our paperwork in for having a booth. <laughs> so we, we sponsored the, the we had a booth at the partner day, and that was good. But we also we sponsored the coffee, and uh, I'm not going to give anybody a hard time, but you probably don't really want to sponsor the coffee because um, it's expensive. Mm. And, and and they actually had rules that, like, we can't hang around the coffee stand. And there's this, like, self-scanning thing where you can scan your badge if you'd like to hear more about the people who gave you coffee. And um, That sounds like a real winner <laughs> of the Legion situation right there. You know, we're, we're going to work on the, the crafting of the message. I think uh, I think you need to say something like, you know, I hope you enjoyed your coffee. Would you like to hear about the DevOps? You know, or... I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But so I, I get in line, and uh, you know, we've told the story a bunch of times. How you know we, we got the coffee at least. You know we're happy to be here. And uh, I get up to the coffee stand, order my coffee, and the barista's does like, oh, "Do you work for Chef?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do." He's like, "How come you guys don't have a booth?" <laughs> so, so even the barista's has <laughs> given me a hard time about not having a booth. Ugh. Like, uh, but, but uh, yeah. We gave away some stickers, and we got. See, some- I, I find it ironic though, because like if um, like when you have a booth, right? The flip side of that same statement is somebody will be like, "Well, you have a booth, and there'll be all these other things you can do, like sponsor the coffee, put your signage by the elevator. You know, it's always these millions of things you can do." But inevitably, usually a sales guy. Usually, it's usually sales. I hate to pick on them, but is there'll always be some sales guy walk up and be like, "I don't understand why so and so has the elevator and the coffee." And we just have a booth, and you just you know you look at these people like what? I mean, it's just it's just crazy. So the the lesson to all shows is you can never win unless you let bought everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then of course if you bought every sponsorship thing, the CFO is upset. He's like, why are we spending so much money on this one show? So so there is no way to win uh, sponsoring a show. Someone is always unhappy. So you just have all to right, accept right. that. Yeah, I mean the key is. Look around. If you see a logo on it, somebody paid. You know, and they paid by the item. It wasn't like you know, oh, we'll throw this in because you're such a nice company. It's like no, yeah, you will pay for every little thing. Yeah, I have noticed that the the lanyard sponsorship not cheap. I know. What's up with that? I'm all, and 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 as 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 listeners may recall, there was the ill-fated jumbotron sponsorship of DevOps Days Austin <laughs> last year. Maybe that opportunity will once again arise, and I hope someone oh. rises to the challenge. DevOps Days Austin has an impressive lineup, I must say. They do, um, they do. They they got they got they got all the people coming. There there needs to be a way to have like the what is it the Dutch auction where you just you put in a low bid for everything just in case. Mm. Yeah, well, if nobody if nobody gets the coffee, we're in for you know four hundred dollars. Yeah. This is like so on a similar topic. I witnessed what I think is perhaps the greatest tragedy of transcontinental air flight on American Airlines. Well, there's there's two. One, but the, the greatest one is that. Uh, it was clear that business class was not going to be filled up, right? There were just going to be empty yep. seats there. And I feel like, why not upgrade me? Like, I know I know, the only way to get upgraded on an international flight is with your little flight chit things that you get when you're executive platinum, your, uh, your system-wide upgrades. But, I mean, come on, right? Like, like it, it would be a nice way to show some appreciation for, for people like myself, the, the underlings, the, the middle-class metallurgical people. The uh, the individual contributor platinum people, not the executives. 
but it it just it just seems like a great lost opportunity to uh, you know maybe maybe they require you to show that you follow American Air and Twitter or something. I mean, just just anything. So, something could could have worked out better there, but you know it's it's a rough life, rough life. Well, uh, so I, I think I think the first item we have it's a bit of follow up. Uh, I, I, who who uh, who uh, who covered this uh, this thing? I think it was maybe the Register. Uh, they, they covered themselves that that. It, at least, at least uh, from the words of Oracle, they are not buying Accenture, and and I, I think I think I think the quote was, "We have never considered that," or something like that, which uh, oh, that, sounds good. Hey, we're we're living in a in a in a post truth world. Um, I, that is that is classic. You know, it's going to happen any day now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It it depends what you mean by never, but uh, anyways. Yeah, so I, I think I think in addition to just some sort of closing that loop out, there was uh, how do you say Diginomica? There's Dennis Howlett over there. He had a he had a good write up of kind of a uh, informed analysis of the situation and uh, uh, how one would think through that deal. And I think I think there's one paragraph I highlighted highlighted on my blog. I'll link to where he kind of goes over the the margins of each company. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we talked about it extensively before, but it it, uh, it 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 there's always possibility of services matching up with software nowadays, but perhaps not this time. We'll have to wait. Not this and, time, yeah. They're, they're looking for somebody cheaper. Oh yeah. You know, maybe maybe like a like like a PwC. They've been owned by a couple people. Oh yeah, yeah. PwC. <laughs> yeah, I should I should delve into who the big consulting firms are now. I haven't really paid attention to that very much. I'll probably never maybe. do that. <laughs> <laughs> so also now I, I I read about this a couple of days ago or something, but I've been waiting to talk with 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 two of my friends who understand this world to kind of tell me if this is a thing. So you got I saw that Amazon was going to start streaming Thursday night NFL games as as they say over here American football. Now my first question is I only vaguely remember the fact that they play on Thursday nights. I thought it was just like Monday and Sunday. What's the deal with Thursday? Oh. Any night, any night you can sell ads is, is a football night. That's uh, right, man. Thursday yeah. night, Thursday night NFL football came back. What I think uh, two years ago, yeah. Because as Matt Ray said, there was a chance to sell ads, and the NFL went for it. Now, now is it like every team plays on Thursday night, so they're playing three times a week, or how does that, how do they sort that out? Oh, Cote, what are we gonna do with you? <laughs> yeah, so not every. <laughs> they just just one game game on Thursday night, but. Uh, not all the teams will play on Thursday, but they will. Most of the teams, um, all the teams will play in prime time, and um, usually every team plays at least one time on Thursday night. Although that's not always true. Oh, so there's only one game for the whole league on yeah. Thursday night. I see. yeah. So like I you see. know the, the way the NFL is, right? It's not like you know basically every week there's just each team plays one game. It's either on Thursday, Sunday, or Monday, mm. and then the schedules go. I see. I see. But what's I, see. I think what's sort of interesting, you know, what's interesting. Two things that are interesting about this. One is, you know, clearly the NFL is trying to figure out its its over the top strategy, you know, down the road, right? They they realize the world is moving away from network TV, and, and they're trying to figure that plan out. So that, so last year's deal, I think, is just you know, funny to look back on it. It's just like. Twitter's like, yeah, we got ten million dollars. We'll just flush it down the toilet. We don't have any real strategy. Let's throw it up there, right? Why not? <laughs> um, and I think, I think it was successful in that, like, people watch the the football games, right? Online, so, so Twitter or, had Thursday or, night or, games, is what you're saying? Yeah, and they pay okay. ten million, and they, but, but Twitter, of course, uh, you know, as far as we can tell, like, 
like having watched a few of the games like twitter just put the game like at the top right so there was no like as far as i can tell there was no attempt to like for them to monetize it in any way so if you're like wow what could go wrong with this strategy right um so twitter obviously bows out this year and then amazon doing only what Amazon can do. They're like, yes, we're going to stream the game, so be great. And um, but the difference is, you'll have to be an Amazon Prime customer this year ah. to actually see it. So, yeah. for those of you good at math here, that it costs them fifty million dollars to buy the rights. There are sixty million Amazon Prime members, at least in this article, they're citing it. So, you know, everyone's paying just under a dollar of their Prime membership is going towards the NFL. And and I think this just goes back to like Amazon's, I mean, it, it's the simple but impressive strategy, right? They just continue to lump more and more in with Prime. Like, so now it's like, you get NFL, like uh, I personally do use the free music because we have at home, we have the Amazon Echo and we just play music. I've got Amazon Prime movies, which really my son primarily watches, but we've got that. And then, of course, we've got the free shipping. So it just, it does, it just gets easier and easier in your mind to uh, to pay um, the $99 a year yeah. uh, for that. So, I mean, it's just, again, it's kind of simple what they're doing. They just roll and roll more and more value, which is going to, you know, up the subscriptions, which will then give them more capital to keep going out and doing this, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, Great strategy, simple. I mean, because it's simple, and they're doing a great job executing. So I think it's going to be real successful for them. First of all, uh, comparing and contrast. Well, there's a forty million dollar bump in the licensing, so that's a that's a nice uh, growth. I think I can't do the math, but that seems pretty high. Uh, but I I am always a fan of the strategy wherein you get paid for providing a service. So kudos for that. I mean, I feel I feel like someone like Twitter could have at least like put the little at signs on top of the players' heads of who they were. I mean, that would be pretty fun, right? <laughs> they could replace the helmets with eggs. <laughs> yeah. That, ooh, ooh, very good. <laughs> they they could have verified players and unverified players. By the way, I have tried numerous times to get verified and like. I get the anonymous rejection letter, and I it, I have no idea uh, why why it's happening. It's very bizarre. I don't know what. Uh, okay, Kote, I'll, I'll vouch for you. Yeah, I mean it's it's <laughs> it's strange. I look at all these other people that that are verified, and I'm not saying that I am greater or lesser to them, but I feel that I am at least a peer to their whatever. And um, but nope, not not for poor Kote. Sad poor yeah. Kote, who has to sit and coach on the way over here, wearing t-shirts. Look what I've become. <laughs> yep, yep. But I do think, you know, on this whole thing, I, I think you're, you know, your point is, I mean, actually well taken, right? It's like because Amazon has a subscription service, right? That people, unlike, you know, I face uh, most of the social networks, right? They have a place to kind of put this stuff, right? To To then directly pay for it which is so powerful right because like when you think about the dilemma of like a twitter or a facebook in this case is that yeah. we're not used to paying them right we in fact you know we we probably would reject the subscription to these services at least as they exist today right whereas amazon has now trained us over you know an almost i don't even know maybe it's 10 years i don't know when prime came out but i think it came out it was like 20 i don't know i remember it being like 25 or i mean it was pretty cheap at the time it was 25 yeah. or 50 dollars right and now they have slowly and once they condition us to pay for it it's like every year they know they got to win it back um let that recurring credit card payment go through and it's like 
And I will say it works on me like every year. Like I feel like I'm getting a little bit more for it. And it's like, yeah, sure enough. Now it's four times as expensive, four times as expensive as it was. And, you know, they've got a, and again, I'm very much conditioned to just pay that. Uh, so when you look yeah. at stuff like premium sports rights, Amazon really is in a position that Twitter and Facebook, because I think, you know, to be more fair to Twitter, I think they were just saying, hey, let's put the NFL out here because it'll help us increase our monthly active members and our new um, new signups, right, um, and show growth. And and once you, you know, kind of tap out that growth, there's really no way for you to pay for a premium service on a social network. So again, Amazon very, um, you know, the only other people I think that could do it would be your traditional cable providers who just throw it on their website in addition yeah. to have it in their uh, cable subscription. No, and and then, and then and then on that note, I mean, there's two things. One, I mean, I I forget uh, what uh, what Richard's first rule of product management is, but I think I think the second one which your second rule is get paid right so that's that's an important part <laughs> like, like right. an, analyze your approach and assure that there is a way to get paid that uh, that people will give you money for but but then but then it's also like it this this brings up as as we're frequently uh, referencing uh, I, I you know i think over the last few years ben thompson has had a good discussion that's as as lots of the interesting things he talks about is a bit um it's not counterintuitive it's um counter what people would think which is he has this pretty strong argument that like cable bundling is actually pretty awesome right so instead of uh yeah. i forget what they call this but instead of paying for a la carte things right like i got my hbo go and my showtime and then whatever other nonsense and paying for them separately if you do the analysis even though you may not watch 300 you know channels of trash or whatever the amount of money that you actually pay for a cable bundle per channel is like a really good deal and so I don't know. I mean, it, it, as you're going over, the, the approach Amazon has here is an interesting uh, rebundling the unbundling where they, they do. It's not only t uh, cable TV channels or TV channels they're bundling, but they're bundling all this other stuff together in, in a way that, like, you know, is, is even far and above one of our other favorite uh, bundlers, Costco. Right. Like Costco tries to bundle all this stuff together. Uh, like, I don't know. Am I going to buy a car through Costco? That's a little weird. But, uh, you know, Amazon is is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're almost one of the the Uber consumer bundlers out there uh, at the moment, which yeah. which is probably a a viable way to like spread out the costs, but then still you know follow the second rule of uh, which is product management. Now, now, is there any other streaming NFL stuff? I think the only other stuff is like I think Verizon can stream um, stuff as well. well. I guess it's they, like they, they the deal. Sunday ticket or something like that. Yeah, there is. I have that Sunday ticket. And that you do um, stream DirecTV. You can sign up for that as well, and they'll stream the games for you on Sundays. But this is uh, also, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. this is also the NFL setting the price of like well bundling. I mean, the uh, streaming rights are you know, one point four billion dollars. Uh, I mean, you, you know, if you do the math for you know eighteen weekends, sixteen matchups. Whatever. Right, know, right, yeah. How many games are, yeah. So, well, yeah, I think they're actually getting it, yeah, for the streaming side, you're right. So, um, well, the NFL, yeah, I think the NFL definitely, well, the other thing I think we should maybe mention here, too, because there was on the Apple side, right, there were some rumors that Apple is getting ready um, to launch its own, like, skinny bundle. And they're trying to include, the last thing I read was it was HBO and Showtime, right? So, trying to mm -hmm. capture the. the um, what is it called? The prestige TV market, right? I think this is an answer to Netflix. So, and I, you know, I was just looking online, like there's this great quote. I think this is where, um, our friend Ben Thompson gets it from, from, I think it's Jim Barksdale talking about, you know, the, 
basically everything in the digital age is about bundling and unbundling software, whether it's software or media, that's always what you're doing, right? You're trying to basically either unbundle something to only uh, unlock the value or bundle it together to like create more value. So it kind of comes back to like, you, you can see where the cable bundle as it is today is probably too bloated. It's not that people want like really want, you know, uh, a la carte. It's just they just feel like it's gotten too out of hand with too many channels, and that's why I think you're seeing the skinny bundles start yeah. to emerge, which could be like an Amazon, an Apple, or uh, AT&T through its DirecTV online services. I think it's down to like $30 for like whatever, 50 channels. So, I mean, I think that's where we're headed, right? It's just someone just – it's just going to get – there are going to be some channels that lose out, like that pet. Isn't there? Isn't there more like there's just like dogs barking or something? There's like a couple of those channels where it's like <laughs> the they're definitely channels. people are just like when oh, they just have no. like random dogs barking. People are like it's gone too far. This I, I, I think control. I think so those are the, the, what... the cable news channels is, is what you're talking about. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe that's what it's become. So so going forward, though, I definitely think it's it's more about rebalancing the bundle than it is getting rid of it. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. the 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 way media people think is uh, is uh, it's it, it's it's either I assume there's too much uh, goodness in the way they're strategizing out extracting uh, their profits and payment, or I just don't understand it. Because you know, on the face of it, uh, I guess, I guess everyone's kind of learned from the music industry that just like don't do that, right? Just like a la carte streaming across the board is going to be difficult. And and I and I think the uh, I, I guess my my simple analysis is that the visual media company movies and TV people uh, learn their lesson about that and they're they're basically like nope uh, you're gonna have to pay a lot of money for this and we're never gonna relent. But, but they might get more money as they break it up. Yes, yeah. yes, One, yeah. I'm, Fifty I'm, million for for ten games. I'm 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 sure I'm right. sure they're uh, they're eager to have Cory Doctorow come in and tell them the theories of how if if you sell each unit for zero you'll make millions of dollars. That, that would be uh, <laughs> oh, but there is yeah. there is an interesting analogy though because like while I think people are trying to prevent the mistakes of music, it is a it's interesting to watch how Netflix is sort of you know almost the one that to do this aggregation right mm. is that they are the ones that are at this point like I think there's some statistic it's pretty amazing that like Netflix is like you know, buying or funding like the majority of new development in like TV, right? Is mostly because Netflix can just sit there and they have, you know, a war chest of money. Whereas like a network may put on like, I'm just going to make up a number. Maybe they put on four or five new series a year. Netflix is like doing like 50, right? So, and then of course, some of these companies have also then licensed some of their content to Netflix, right? And so now suddenly they, they're addicted to that revenue stream, but then Netflix isn't using that to just make more and more content on their own to then get rid of them. So it's like a weird, you know, it's one of these things where it's like you can see the problem, but like can you truly avoid it is I guess maybe the hard part of that. And Mm. it looks like Netflix today at least, right, and Amazon. Amazon to a less extent is doing the same thing, but they are really owning, you know, the content creation of Hollywood, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, not to go on too much about this, but uh, I, my, my daughter wanted to watch Cinderella recently, the original one, and I quickly found out that there is a live-action remake, which I just feel like, you know, who's interested in that? That's that's just going to be a big old hot mess. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a traditionalist, but uh, yeah. you, you can't really buy Cinderella online. I didn't check iTunes, but I don't think it's available. The original one is is available to buy anywhere. So uh, 
We went to the good old H E B. Yeah, yeah. We went to the good old H E B. You know the electronic section in H E B? Always delightful. Uh we we went over there and, and you can buy not a Blu ray, as the clerk pointed out. You still call them clerks? I don't know, associate. Uh but but you can buy a DVD for nineteen ninety nine. And then wham, bam, you have Cinderella. But, like, it's not available for streaming or anything anywhere. And so it did, it did make me think kind of on this topic that uh, I have always admired. Like, I think, I think of, of all the places I know in this industry that I know nothing about, like, I feel like Disney puts the most thought into curating their catalog and, and like, what they do with it. So it would be interesting to see how those people uh, think about all of this because they clearly think about it a lot. Like, someone pointed out to me that you can't uh, – you can't buy that song of the South movie anywhere. They sort of have like, mm-hmm. like yeah, that one's brushed that under the though. bed. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyways, yeah. they obviously, I mean, that's kind of a negative example of this. And Cinderella is, well, maybe positive in some way, but not negative in the same way as the other one. But like they seem to put a tremendous amount of thought into how they control uh, all of their releases and stuff. So, yep. Yep. So with that, wow, we talked about streaming. How's that? That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why, why don't we uh, – we can genuinely go into our mid-roll here. So how about yourself? What do you have for the mid-roll, Matt Ray? Uh, well, um, yesterday, today, I'm at uh, the AWS Summit Sydney, but uh, probably too late for our listeners. But I did run into a few um, at the show, which was awesome. Um, I'm going to be at DevOps Days Tokyo at the end of the month, April 25th uh, in in sunny Tokyo. And uh, we're going to have a hands-on Habitat event uh, the next day, Tokyo. And then um, the weekend, April 29th, I'm going to be in Singapore and we're having a chef meetup that might be sold out by now. But uh, we're going to be talking about chef and Habitat and uh, it's going to be fun. And then as always, in Austin, when is it? May 22nd? Yep, May 22nd. 22nd through the 24th, I will be there um, at ChefConf. And, uh, well, if you, if, if you waited too long, you missed a chance for uh, the early bird registration. But if you would like to get certified, um, certification uh, classes are available um, for free with your registration if you want to uh, to get Chef certified. Now, now is, is our buddy Nathan finally going to hook us up with a discount code? He had a great excuse earlier. <laughs> the early bird price. Now, now the hole in that logic was that well, but you could generate a discount code that was better than the early bird thing. But whatever, I didn't, I didn't want to push on it. But do you, do you think we can wangle one out of them? No, I think, I think they decided that I think there were too many codes floating around, and mm. you know, getting only getting you know half a dozen from from software defined talk wasn't worth the effort. I don't know. No, that's that's um, that's totally logical. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be brief with my stuff. So as I, as I mentioned numerous times, we had the Cloud Foundry Summit coming up June 13th and 15th. You can see all the nerds and the business people talk about how awesome all their uh, ways of improving software is. If Speaking of discount codes, if you want to get 20% off of that, when you register, you can use the code CFSV17COTE. That's like Cloud Foundry Silicon Valley 17 and then my name. Uh, and also, uh, we have a bunch of Cloud Native Roadshows at Pivotal. There's, I would read the city list, but it's too numerous. Uh, if you just search for Pivotal Cloud Native Roadshow, there's a ton of them in, in, a, in America and in Europe and Asia, uh, all sorts of places. Even Dallas. Uh, so you can check those out. And then also, uh, I mentioned that, that big old paper I was working on uh, for a while, and it's finally out in PDF. If you go to, uh, you can still go to cote.io slash cloud2 to find the link to it. And now you can lead gen yourself. I always enjoy logging into mm-hmm. our Salesforce instance and seeing all the Johnny lead gens that uh, <laughs> have, have been interested in content I refer to. But you know those are our listeners. 
Yeah, hot hot leads. Those are, those are the good leads. Uh, yeah. So uh, so so you have a new release coming out in Chefland, right, Matt Ray? What's what's up with uh, that? Yeah, yeah, it's nothing nothing super major. Um, Chef Thirteen comes out uh, April tenth. Um, it's we're only upgrading the client, uh, just kind of getting rid of a lot of deprecated stuff and fast and efficient on the the latest version of Ruby on all the uh, the popular platforms. You know your AIXs and and uh, Windows Core Nanos. But you know it, it's 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 not that big a, a release. It's it's you know not not a whole lot of new features. Just uh, cleaning up the code base. Yeah, yeah. Well, you previous to this, I just recorded uh, an episode of Pivotal Conversations going over uh, a, a new release we just announced today. All manner of stuff. And one of the things that was interesting is there's uh, there's a bunch of monitoring in there. And then I had I had more or less read finished reading the Google SRE book, and there was an mm-hmm. interesting discussion about how they do monitoring, and uh, they call it uh, black box monitoring and white box monitoring. And you know, the white box monitoring is when you can actually, as you might imagine, look in the thing, and and even and I was thinking this is like. Back from from my day, this is like a luxury. Is like the developers can actually write instrumentation in the application, so it can be monitorable. What what an yep. idea! But but you know, it it was also making me realize. Do do y'all remember when like agent versus agentless was a big debate? And like, oh yeah, I don't think <laughs> anyone has really ever discussed that for like the last ten years. And when you read through like the Google SRE book, you realize that like they just do everything, and they're not even at least in the written word, cognizant of the fact that there used to be this big divide of things. And it's just like yeah. uh, not an issue, which is, uh, which is fascinating. These kids today, they, they don't realize what we fought about in the past. Yeah, I mean, I mean the agent versus agent list was a little more – that was more relevant when you didn't have your hands into all the whole stack. And, you know, it's like, well – I don't know what that team over there is doing in their business silo, but we have to monitor them. And, you know, luckily they turned on, you know, SNMP or, you know, what have you. And, and so we were able to do agent lists. And then, you know, and then now it's kind of like, well, this is too small for an agent, you know, but we'll expose a bunch of stuff via stats D or, you know, but your, you know, your ops team hopefully is, is you know, with the, the engineering team, or, you know, well, they're all just one engineering team. And so you choose the right solution and those, those silos are gone. So it's less of like, you know, the operators trying to figure out how they could possibly deal with those developer stuff. Now, now we're in that DevOps utopia. So this reminds me of another question that I had. Like I, I was talking with, uh, with my buddy Andrew Schaefer about SRE stuff, but I forgot to read this up. Now, in the Google SRE book, there's like this whole chapter on like the wonders of time series data or data. Mm-hmm. And, and I was reading it and I felt like the people who leave comments to me on the register. Uh, and I was like, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Like, didn't, haven't we always had time series data? Like, hasn't that always been a thing that we have around? So, so I, like, I, I, I asked y'all, right? Like, is there some meaning of time series data that I don't understand that makes it this magical thing that exists nowadays? Because I feel like... I feel like, you know, our, our buddies Chip and other people, they would basically just go, like, you know, battle the Oracle database so we could just have time series data. Like, we would have that all the time back in the early 2000s. But uh, the kids these days, it's like it's like, it's like the, the third coming of, of something. They're so excited about it. I think it has always been around, but I think it's the more the, the issue has just been do people know what to do with it, right? I think mm. that's always um, – and, I don't, you know, I haven't looked at the – I'm not sure exactly what they're talking about in Google, but that's always – 
you know, sort of like the first rule of monitoring tools is like first get all this data and put it on uh, charge. Second is, uh, okay, what do we do now? Which usually leads you to all the export commands. People are like, I want to export it, which is their version of saying like, I have no idea what to do with your data. Um, and then, you know, somebody smart, some statistician start to get involved and you start to figure out like, well, what can we chart or graph that makes sense, which is sort of like a, a, yeah. a long discussion. I think it goes on and on with all kinds of data. Yeah. Well, and, and how much of it do you want to keep over time? And so the time series databases, some of them would consolidate your historical data for you. And, you know, because storage used to be more expensive and you're like, you know, do I really need, you know, May of 2016's monitoring data? And now today it's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I, I guess, I guess that's, that's the reasonable explanation that, that is, is sort of obvious is, as, as y'all were putting it, like, well, you've always been able to theoretically collect all this stuff, but now you can actually do something with it. So this kind of comes back to like no one really wants um, – you know, vendors and people that build monitoring tools want to build things that have graphs and um, lots of different options to show the graphs. Actual users of the tools never want to log in and look at the graphs, right? Because it takes them; it's just a pain in the ass. It's like, what does this mean? You know, they want to be told like what the problem is. So this is like always the constant issue with you know use, building and using monitoring tools. And then of course, this is what uh, forces like every generation or every three years, someone's like, oh, I figured it out. This is I figured out exactly what I want to see when I get a problem, and I think everybody else will, and I'll build another monitoring tool, right? And so, and the cycle just repeats over and over so it's uh you know i get it i mean i i know why it happens it doesn't mean it's good but you know it's the world of monitoring well so in related news in acquisition area akamai bought this uh this company sosta and in, per usual mm-hmm. is that how you say it or is it soasta whatever it may be <laughs> yeah i don't think we know <laughs> no idea no idea. go with it man but but now now they're they're like they're like a, a a testing company, right? Do they wrap around one of the like Selenium or something like that? I've lost track of all this stuff. But like I mean, they they basically do like a sort of like test black box testing, as the SRE people would say, as I recall. Yeah, I, I don't think they're doing. Uh, I think Selenium is uh, Sauce Labs. Um, but yeah, they they uh, aren't they doing um, application performance monitoring? Is that what they're there? Yeah, yeah. That, that's so. So I asked this because when you read through the the press release around it, that's sort of how they speak about it. And obviously, I've done a lot of preparation to find these facts. But like, as I recall, Sosta is just like testing. And so, you know, and, and this this frequently happens. I mean, that I don't remember if that was the basis of like what Mercury people did here and there and things like that. If it's testing that went APM or the other way around, but I guess it's pretty frequent that you kind of shift between like doing sort of automated user synthetic transaction testing and then actual APM stuff. Yeah, I, I was curious about that. Because also, like, uh, I mean, Akamai is like a big, huge company, but it's not like they really show up in the areas I look at a lot. So it's kind of curious that they they would buy such a company. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, with the, I mean, they're, uh, uh, Akamai, you know, is a, a CDN, or at least that's what most people probably know them for. Um, that's what I know them for. Um, and so having having the ability to layer on, you know, this awareness of how your application is performing. And I think, I think Swasta has, uh, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. I think they, they've got some, some tools that will allow you to see like worldwide mobile performance for oh, yes. iOS or, you know, uh, you know, can I get, can I get the, uh, you know, the IE nine performance out of the Netherlands? And I think they, they can, you know, kind of layer that on top. And so, you know, it's, 
it's an upsell on the CDN stuff, so they can tell you, oh yeah, you know, if you not only are we delivering your content, but you know, you get this is what your web app looks like in, in these different markets, and you know, and then they can probably drill down into finding the bottlenecks for you, and yeah, you know, um, and so I, I guess uh, if if my understanding of Swasta's is right that puts them in competition with uh, uh, with probably um, uh, App Dynamics, you know, that Cisco just picked up, and uh, and then you got uh, something like uh, you got like um, Gomez, right? I, I, who, who bought them? Some some <laughs> company bought those those. Wow, folks. there you go. That's a blast from the past. <laughs> some some Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Some Kingdom, right? Yeah, I mean, I just kind of look at it like this is just. I mean, Akamai. Even like way back, I remember having uh, conversations with them as far back as. The you know the days of BMC they've they've always had like some kind of small monitoring offering which I think is just an adjacent product to Matt Ray's point around their their CDN so and when you read the press release here the uh, the line I like the all cash transaction which means like we didn't pay you very, very much uh, you know just kind of tells me that like yeah this is just a small little tuck in acquisition probably you know refreshes bolsters their monitoring adjacent product a little bit and. Yeah, I'm sure there's some some group of Akamai customers that'll use it, but it doesn't seem like they're gonna. You know, I don't even think they think they're gonna try to like compete with you know New Relic and AppD and you know the larger vendors out there. I don't think that's even really on their on their strategy slides, if you will. Must be on somebody's strategy slide. <laughs> well, I think to them it's just like, hey, I think someone did something like, hey, let, we'd like to have this small acquisition because we have this like this product that the sales guys can sell also when they sell the CDN stuff. Right? Yeah. Like, so as long as it's under enough money, it's small enough that, you know, it's cheaper to buy it than it is build it kind of thing. Then I'm sure it was like probably a pretty easy acquisition. And I don't, you know, like now if you tell me they paid a hundred million dollars for this, I'll, 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 I'll recant that. Um, but it looks pretty small to me. Well, before, before we get to the recommendations. So there's also like a Cloudera officially announced that they, they, what do they call it? They filed their S1. So there's uh there, there's some blood work to look at, so to speak. And uh, some speculation. I don't know. Like with my uh, incredibly pseudo, somewhat jet lagged and like uh, jaggy attention to this stuff, it, it looks like they're in a better situation than like Hortonworks was uh, and, and came to. There's, there's, I'll, I'll put a link to it, but Brennan, Brennan, one of my coworkers over at 451, he had a pretty good uh, write up. The, uh, the 451 people are always good on, at this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to see the, uh, the, the revenue that they had and the losses. And it looks like somehow they cut $16 million in spending last year. So uh, someone's not getting wood flooring at their booth. I don't, I don't you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're not going to cover the Nordics or something now, but they're, uh, they're chopping out some spending, which, which is probably good. And it'll, it'll be, you know, I, I think we've even commented on this before, but the thing I'm always interested in with, with, with Cloudera is, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe they're the, uh, what did you call, uh, the, the, they're like, they're like the, the HBO branding, uh, the premium brand of the, the big data world. Like they seem like one of the more respectable firms out there. So, and then also they have the word "cloud" in their name, which is an odd mm. anachronism from the time of their founding. But well, at least fun they to see how people the, react uh, to it. Com. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, do, do you do you uh, when, when were they scheduled to IPO? Was that released? 
Uh, don't you have no, like a I think, schedule? Yeah, well, I think once they uh, after after you file this one, they can kind of do it whenever they want. So I think oh, it's just nice. more like when they're ready. When it's they like get, an engagement. Or when it, we can say it like when they decide if we want to like pretend that, or when the investment bankers uh, finish selling out all the uh, IPO allocation. Yeah, they get, they got to <laughs> they they got they got to run the the Monte Carlo simulations on the headwinds versus the tailwinds and some macro right. environmental. And they got to get on the airplanes. They got to make the thirty city tour. Go yeah. see the uh, the portfolio managers see who wants them yeah so there's i think when it takes a long time it just means like wow they had to go all the way around the world whereas like the snapchat one it sounds like they sold it out pretty fast and yeah. it went public like you know the next week yeah well, i don't know every time i see all this stuff with hadoop though i just all these companies just look to me like companies that will go public on the big data uh hype and then get acquired on the on the big data kind of um you know Trough trough right like i just feel like in two years we'll be reading back be like well cloudera got bought hortonworks got bought it just it just feels like part of a portfolio rather than a standalone company um i don't know why i don't i don't i don't know maybe i'm just too cynical there but i don't know they just as a long-term investor in these companies it just doesn't seem like they're going to be strong standalone businesses unless they grow significantly outside what they're currently doing. But it, but it also says that only, um, digging through that 451 article, so that only 23% of their revenue is professional services. So they're selling software. I mean, they're, they're you know, it's not, uh, it's not like they're, they're in there fighting with, you know, an open source stack trying to kick it to fit. Um, you know, they're selling something that they, they probably have a, a hopefully a, an AR model where, you know, they're getting recurring revenue and, and slightly productized where, you know, the, the open source option isn't as uh, appealing to their customers. So you know, maybe there's hope for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the way I see it playing out, I guess is why I'm a little bit, bit more bearish on it is that like, well, really what people are buying is like, oh, we have no idea how to use this Hadoop thing. It's we, we just have no idea what the hell to do with it. But we know we need to buy it. Right. I think that's where the market is today. It's not a bad place to be. Right. And then. I think eventually, though, people start to either figure out they do or they don't need it, and then the open source installation, you know, Hadoop itself, you know, starts to get a lot easier over time, right? So that's or you, sort of like, or you just consume it in the cloud as, as yeah, or you can, or AWS exactly, or somebody else does. So it just feels like long term here, strategy wise, like you got to get beyond that. You either got to have like the premier cloud installation of it, or you know, you got to build something adjacent to it that's gonna that people are gonna want when the Hadoop gets you know mm. much better understood and easier to use. So, but again, like, hey, if I was there, I mean, to be totally fair, like, if I was the CEO of these companies, I'd be like, no way, we're taking this thing public right now because I mean, it's it's it'll definitely spike up. I just don't think yeah, yeah. five years from now, um, if I had to own this for five years, I would not want to own it for five years. If I could, if I just had some stock options and I was gonna get paid on the IPO, I'm all for it. You know, get it out there. That's a, that's always a good point. That's uh. It's, it's it's nice to get money now rather than later. They they even have some some theoretical NBA uh, level accounting theory around that. What do you call that? Your uh, net present value or some nonsense? Yeah. I, Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I I was I was kind of bullshitting with some people recently about big data stuff, and it kind of goes back to something we were talking about earlier. Where like there, there's there's some interesting theoretic business models to try out when it comes to like bundling 
as we were talking about earlier with cloud stuff. And so there's a lot of a lot of these things we talk about where it doesn't really have like its own sort of like standalone business model, but it could be an attractive sort of thing to add to your, I don't know, AWS Prime account, so to speak, just sort of features and functionality that you have, whether I guess it would be metered. But, you know, it's it's uh, that was that was in this conversation I was having that these various big data things, they they might be interesting uh, product services thing or products to make into services on on the uh, the sort of cloud things that you have. I said a whole lot of nonsense there, but that that would be an interesting <laughs> like uh, an interesting trend to see with all these independent kind of one product companies to see if they get sucked up into a bundle uh, that gets sold by one of the the major cloud providers, or maybe they could remain independent. And, and Cloud Era is not just Hadoop; they're they're bundling all the big data tools. You know, so you know, not not just like you know, Hadoop with uh, the batch stuff, but also probably some streaming products. You know, there's probably I don't know, Kafka in there and Storm or whatever, whatever the big data kids are are using these days. Um, but you know, making it consumable for uh, Joe Sixpack. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Sixpack's big data. Uh, well, I think I think that brings us solidly to our recommendations. How about we start with uh, with you, Matt? Since I see nothing in the show notes that you want to recommend. Oh no. <laughs> uh, well, um, I have a. I guess I have an anti recommendation. Um, Those are my favorite. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, uh, if you've upgraded to the latest Mac OS ten dot twelve dot four. Um, it just like broke my USB headset for no good reason, and then I found this this whole thread about uh, other people complaining, and it broke like three or four models. And what do you do? Uh, so I had to buy a new headset. So if uh, my voice sounds better, uh, we'll, we'll say you know my choice is uh, this Logitech headset I bought. Uh, if my voice sounds worse, well, we'll just blame Mac OS. It's a classic. That's how they get you situation. Now Apple yes. is going to like drive margin through USB headset sales. I know they're firmly <laughs> in the pocket of big headset. Yeah, <laughs> big headset. <laughs> uh, how about yourself, Brandon? What, what, what do you have to recommend this week? I was going to recommend uh, kind of a book called The Undoing Project. It's a Michael Lewis book, which is always uh, you know good if you like uh, his storytelling. Uh, mechanism usually you know good at good at telling stories has written a bunch of different books but this one he goes through and um i guess it's all about the phd guys that started um what we kind of think of now as like behavioral economics so like why do human be like i guess i would say their keen insight is that uh human beings do not act in uh rational ways when we like buy things and make decisions and they uh, were the guys uh, that really kind of pioneered all of this um, kind of thinking, and you know, Michael Lewis has uh, used a lot of his books, like uh, you know, the one that was on uh, Moneyball, the one on baseball, right? Talking a lot about how uh, scouts use a lot of these weird, like you know, emotional ways to pick uh, players, but really they're just you know, uh, exposing that kind of some of their irrational thinking. So it's an interesting story about how it came about. They talk a lot about some of the history of it, and um, both these guys were from Israel. Um, so it's kind of interesting to hear the story of how it all happened. And then the audiobook is like a little too long for you. There's also like a Freakonomics episode um, where they go through and they interview the author. And, you know, it's about an hour long, so you can kind of listen to that for free, decide if you like it, uh, and then check out the book. So that's my recommendation, The Undoing Project. You know, I, I, was, I was talking with uh, John Willis uh, a little while ago. 
and and he was sort of like rediscovering Michael Lewis. And he had this, I haven't really thought about it, but he had this interesting way of describing Michael Lewis, who's basically like a biographer, but kind of writes biographies in the form of more like businessy stories. And I was trying to think through all, I stopped reading Michael Lewis a little at some point in the 2000s, but it seemed like a pretty good analysis. And that's part of what makes his story, his, his books compelling is they're about like people and how people evolve doing things evolve doing things but how how they kind of like uh i don't know a little sort of biographical sort of take yeah that it's uh that's it's the thinking fast thinking slow people right yeah that that is exactly right that's part of it and i think you know a lot of this stuff um you know the reason i'm always kind of just interested in it is you know obviously you know i spend a lot of time thinking about like why do people buy things and like why do you know and then um, even the book I know I, I recommended last week, um, *Sapiens*, even goes even further back into like kind of like why the human brain has evolved the way it has, and then um, you know these guys really kind of spend some time like kind of highlighting all the inconsistencies we have, and you can like *Sapiens* is not it's kind of a totally different book, but they kind of explain so like why you know maybe why our brains think this way, um, but I think it's really helpful like in both your in your own personal life like you know like why like just what you said like why why are you deciding to do things and then even knowing that sometimes it's okay as a human being you're not going to act 100 percent rational but maybe just being aware of that helps you and then uh professionally right like yeah when you're uh out there trying to sell software like this is the classic argument that goes on in every software company in the world right is there's usually some very um highly skilled uh, highly educated engineer who's just like invented something and they're just like it's perfect it's great and like we just need to show it to people and it's like that's not really how people think right people buy and think and in these books right kind of outline all the reasons right why like why do people you know like why do people buy from big vendors right well because like human beings are trained to like if you've seen something a lot you know it's safe you buy it right you know i mean it's just that's just a simple heuristic that's from like evolution so if you're a brand new company and your thing is great, it's like, yeah, like the fact that they don't know who you are is probably more important than the fact that your company has some great product, right? So so just being aware of all those things is, is interesting, I think, both personally and professionally. Well, as as they say, what you see is all there is. Uh, so my my two recommendations highly related. First of all, I was just thinking I've I've gotten a lot of use out of this. I think I think this is uh, always recommended by this show. The recommendation of the wire cutter. If you go look up your USB wall, uh, wall charger. So there's this there's this one that I got. They have a recommendation for a big one, but I got this little one called the Aki USB wall charger, ultra compact in all cap. It has a 2.4 amp. I don't actually know what that means except that it'll charge an iPad. It has two of those USB things. And if you have the US version, the little pluggy things fold up into it. And then it's a little square, basically the size of like a standard issue Apple USB adapter. And uh, that's basically my travel charger. It's wonderful because you plug your Apple Watch in there and your iPhone. It's good stuff. Now, so you should get that. The other recommendation I was reminded of, I, I haven't figured out which flights are like this on my beloved carrier, American Airlines, but there are clearly some transatlantic flights that I like to call the big ass margin flights. Which is to say, those planes were manufactured maybe by Wilbur and the other guy. They're pretty old. And uh, they still have those, like, DC, those car adapter things. So it's very rare that I actually have to use one of those, but I sure am grateful when I, I've, I've always keep one of those in my bag. Wow, you still carry, you still carry yours? Yeah, because every, every now and then you get stuck on one of these Da Vinci class flights, and you just, like, you know... 
you got to charge your stuff. Like, what are you going to do? Read American Ways magazine and like see how wonderful Portugal is or something? Like, you gotta, you gotta like, you gotta do something. And then, and then also on these flights, they only have like the one movie where you learn once again how terrible the programming at NBC is. But you know, so you got to have juice so you can read your Google SRE book. Which I got to tell you. That's you need to have a college degree that made you suffer through reading a lot of stuff if you want to read that book front to cover. But it's uh, mildly rewarding, just like college. So uh, with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 92. You can find how you subscribe to this, uh, this episode through your RSS feeds, whatever a stitcher is. You got your iTunes and your Overcast. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, there's a little subscriptions thing. You can find that out. Uh, you should just subscribe to it. That's the easiest thing to do. And while you're in there, in, in your iTunes or your Twitters and uh, Overcast, it's always good if you try to recommend the show or leave some rating. It's, it's always delightful. And, you know, I, but judging by the the rapidity, if that's a word, at which we respond to things. All of us closely monitor the action in Twitter. And it's always delightful when we get acknowledgement that, that we exist and people tolerate us. So that's, uh, that's, that's lovely. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.